Kia ora. Kofus Mithahu. Namai Welcome to the House. For any speaker, Parliament's question time is a tricky horse to ride, let alone to tame. Every speaker has a different approach. Some take a light hand and watch as question time runs around the arena, but they growl if it kicks a stable hand. Others dare to jump on and gamely try to wrest the bronco into a trot. Good luck with that. The current speaker is trying something different. He has removed all the fences entirely, and the horses are off and running. He really is pretty hands-off. Quite clearly the questions being asked um, have upset uh, some members of the House. That doesn't automatically mean that they're out of order. Um, I have allowed uh, the questions um, to be asked, and members of the public will make their own judgment around them. Um, whilst um, members might not like what they're hearing in terms of the question, uh, the member does have the right to ask it. That was Speaker Adrian Rudafe this week. His is a very different approach from his predecessor, Trevor Mallard. Speaker Mallard would jump in and rule questions out of order as soon as he realised they were out of order. The current Speaker instead lets almost any question go and leaves it up to the Minister to answer it or not. And so far as the Minister's response, it's bullshit. You can address it if you like. You don't have to if you don't want to. The potential difficulty with that approach is that errant claims and statements inside the question can be quite politically effective without any answer. It seems that opposition MPs are aware of this excellent loophole and are seeing just how far they can stretch it. Both of the rulings you've heard were from Wednesday's question time, after, shall we say, kerfuffles, about whether particular questions were inside the rules. Parliament's rules are called the standing orders, so being inside the rules is in order and against the rules is out of order. There are a lot of rules, but among the things not allowed inside questions are... Arguments, inferences, imputations, epithets, ironical expressions or opinions. Also, you can't make claims that can't be authenticated or suggest misconduct, dishonesty or corruption. Many of those things turn up daily. Some idea of the fuller questions from above might be useful. Here is slightly wider context for that second bit of audio. Does she consider that she is gaslighting the public of New Zealand when she stands in this house and continues to tell the people of New Zealand that they should feel safer. And so far as the Minister's response, it's bullshit. You can address it if you like. You don't have to if you don't want to. Mr Speaker, the only gaslighting going on in the House today is that member who continually misrepresents my quote. Point of order, is it? Mr. Speaker, we're now getting into some territory of the Minister openly defying not only the ruling you gave at the start of question time... That was National MP Mark Mitchell getting Labour MP Ginny Anderson quite riled. He has been asking variations on that same partial quote since early May. And she has been giving the full quote and context since early May. It just doesn't put him off. That was one of two different series of questions today where MPs were annoyed enough to actually react audibly during the question itself, which is a no-no. The earlier series of questions were from various ACT MPs, and each one kind of hinted that various public servants or agencies might be guilty of corruption, that the Prime Minister can't be trusted to care, and repeatedly made a false claim about the former Transport Minister, just for the cherry on top. MPs appealed to the Speaker, 
but the questions were not ruled out of order. Um, I have allowed uh, the questions um, to be asked and members of the public will make their own judgment around them. This hands-off approach is not new. Adrian Rudafay has been quite upfront about it. Here he is last October. If the House wants me to intervene every five minutes and blow the whistle, I can do that. won't be a very uh, robust kind of uh, question time, but it will um, address that issue. Periodically, when MPs have complained it's got a bit out of hand, the Speaker has threatened that he is prepared to blow his whistle. But so far, the whistle stays deep in his pocket. If the House wants to tolerate out-of-order questions and address them, they can. But if, they, if it doesn't, because we have had um, a situation where I think they should be ruled out of order. But as I have said before, this House has told me that it wants more robust question time. OK, that's entirely up to this House. A few notes on that. If a member of the House thinks something is against the rules, there is a process. They raise what is called a point of order, i.e. they point it out to the Speaker. It happens quite frequently. They do this because only one person in Parliament is empowered to make a ruling on whether something is out of order. And that person is the Speaker. The same person who was just saying there that he thinks lots of questions should be ruled out of order. The Speaker obviously hasn't found it easy to redraw the line. He recently changed his approach and ruled that at least some aspect of every question should be inside the rules. The rest of the question, eh, not so much. And I have let things um, go. I think I'm going to make a new um, uh, alteration to the way that I have um, um, presided over question time. At least one part of the question should be in order. Uh, for it to be, uh, to be valid. Um. I understand that when Adrian Rudolfay took over the speakership from Trevor Mallard, he did get complaints from opposition parties that the previous speaker had enforced the rules too strictly. Trevor Mallard had been pretty tough on both sides of the equation. He'd ruled question time tightly, which particularly affected the opposition. But he also strictly enforced the rules around ministers answering written questions, which affected the government. Certainly, at least some of the House wanted, as Adrian Durofei puts it, a more robust question time. He took that on board, but it hasn't been easy. A great many of supplementaries that I've heard since taking over probably uh, would have been ruled out of order um, by previous um, speakers of this House. As the Speaker there noted last year, the questions were already veering a little off course. To return to the metaphor we began with, the horse was starting to realise that the bridle and the halter were gone, and it was shaking out its mane. As you would imagine, the opposition is pretty happy with fewer strictures. The shadow leader of the House, Michael Woodhouse, is quick to fend off suggestions that the Speaker re-erect the fences. The alternative would be me to intervene on, on every question that's out of order. If that's what the House is telling me, then I will do it. To that point, uh, that's not what I'm suggesting. That's not. It's not a binary choice. I would suggest, Mr. Speaker, you've done a very good job of allowing the flow of questions, and it would be a shame if the the assertions were simply. I imagine it is easier to write question lines that employ claims, assertions, and political statements, but they don't seem particularly effective in gaining useful answers. Holding the government to account and getting to the nub of things 
takes more than just a competition of statement and counterstatement. The very best weapon of any opposition is a really tight, well-constructed question line. It is potentially lethal to a floundering minister. And it can be entirely inside the rules. But it is also a very difficult skill. There are still eight weeks of Parliament left before the election. Between now and then, it will be interesting to see just how far and wide the horses run. And since we're talking about the GGs, here's Johnny Blades. Grab yourself a beer, he's taking bets. It's the 2020s, right? Yes, but this week at Parliament, you may have thought it was the 1960s. Because three dominant cultural forces of yesteryear showed yet again how they still hold sway. Rugby, racing and beer. Licensed access to combinations of which laws are being created to enable. Mr Speaker, I move that the sale and supply of Alcohol Rugby World Cup 2023 Extended Trading Hours Amendment Bill now be read a first time. I nominate the Justice Committee to consider... So it's World Cup year for men's rugby. Late in the year, played in a different time zone. Now people need alcohol to watch rugby. And pubs are often the main place people can get a chance to watch if they don't already have Sky Sport TV. So if the game's on during those wee hours when the pub's not licensed, that's an obstacle. The government has come to the rescue. Yeah, the Rugby World Cup will be played in France. Time zone differences mean that many matches will be broadcast outside the maximum trading hours for pubs and clubs. For an event as important as the Rugby World Cup, we want to make sure that New Zealanders have options for enjoying live matches whilst also supporting the hospitality sector. And this is what this bill does. This bill is based on the amendments made for the 2015 and 2019 Rugby World Cups that were also played in the Northern Hemisphere. Then last night, further underlining the spirit of Rod Derrett's 1965 classic record rugby racing and beer, another alcohol sports-related bill was up for its last debate before being passed into law. Ian McKelvey. Mr Speaker, I move that the sale of alcohol exemption for race meetings amendment bill be now read a third time. National MP Ian McKelvey's members bill exempts a racing club from the offence of using unlicensed premises as a place for consumption of alcohol if booze is being consumed on its premises on the day of a race meeting. A small thing, but one area of the law which has curbed the enjoyment of a community that McKelvey has long been a part of. Uh, and as a teenager, I tried to train a horse. I've ridden a few, but you can tell I've never been a jockey. <laughs> and I have had a lifelong uh, interest in racing and have also been the president of a racing club, a two-race, uh, a two-meeting club, interestingly, uh, and, and have, as I said, had a lifelong interest in, in the racing industry, the breeding industry, and all those things that go with it. And I think, it's a, as I said earlier, it's a very important industry for New Zealand. It's important that we continue to promote it. And I think that um, it's essential that we give people the opportunity to enjoy the things that my generation had the opportunity to enjoy for much the same reasons that um, we're here looking at this bill now. These bills don't just reflect the long-running connection between sport and alcohol. They also speak to who the MPs are as people. Well, some of them anyway. The Green Party voted against both bills. For the Auckland Central MP Chloe Swarbrick, after the recent defeat of her Alcohol Harm Reduction Members Bill, the question of how to regulate the use of alcohol and other drugs so as to best reduce their potential for harm 
remains unresolved. But fundamentally, it is about access and availability of alcohol. Aotearoa, New Zealand's favourite drug, consumed by 80% of uh, those of the age to do so, a quarter of them to really harmful ends. And as this uh, House has canvassed many debates previously, we do have uh, quite a problem in this country with regard to how deeply intertwined sports and alcohol is. Uh, what many speakers have actually touched on is the fact that we are seeing this kind of legislation become ever more frequent. Uh, and I think that there is an inherent problem with that when we have a kind of predictability of what is fundamentally quite an ad hoc approach. And as actually uh, my learned colleague from the ACT Party just raised, the fact that this was tabled uh, in lightning speed and that the House is now passing it uh, just as quickly. To that effect, I think that all of us would agree that there is perhaps the need for some greater interrogation of the sale and supply of Alcohol Act 2012. It is ultimately about how can we provide these special licenses licenses in such a way as to potentially reduce harm. McKelvey's bill about alcohol at the races went to a conscience vote. As well as the Green Party, roughly half of Labor's MPs, including Prime Minister Chris Hipkins, voted against it. But the bill still passed, 74 votes to 43. Another vestige of the Kiwi way of life safe for a while yet. You've been listening to The House, a programme produced with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matewa.